Hey, good morning and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. I am so glad that you are here. One of the things that uh, I love to do as the lead pastor, my name is Chris Plegenpool, by the way, and one of the things I love to do is uh, answer questions. And so if you have any questions, uh, send them here. Here's a number on the screen. We'll keep this number up on the screen and we will answer those uh, in the post-sermon podcast, which we'll uh, try to upload by tomorrow. So let us know. Uh, any questions that you might have about the sermon or anything else that you want to talk about. Now, uh, we are in a sermon series called Back to School, where we are going over what it is to have an identity in Jesus. And we've sort of come up with, as a church, eight core identities and life patterns associated that we want to take everyone back to school to learn them. And so what we've decided, uh, the past couple weeks we've did... um, Servant two weeks ago with Joseph Aiken, who killed it as he taught us what it was for us to have an identity as a servant. And then uh, last week, uh, we talked about what it was to be a member of the body and uh, really what Jesus taught us about what that means. Now, uh, this week, we're going to talk about what it is to be a regenerate, to which your first thought is when you hear the word regenerate is What's that word even mean, right? And and maybe that's because you've heard the word degenerate, which you know that word, and degenerate. Let's just do a quick little vocabulary lesson. Uh, A degenerate person is an evil or morally corrupt person. And then regenerate then is sort of the opposite of that, and we've given it this definition, which is a person having faith uh, in Christ's righteousness who works towards sanctification through confession and repentance. And so um, if you're wondering, I've never heard that word. That's because we've sort of made it up. Uh, And we're going to show you where we got uh, the word from, but I think it's an easy way to understand and wrap your head around uh, what it means to be fully devoted to following Jesus every day and how you're going to grow. Now, um, last year, um, let's go back to this just thought. Last year, um, do you remember the world uh, where kids congregated in cafeterias and schools were filled up and there wasn't isolation chambers built into classrooms. Uh, do you remember those days? Well, back in those days, my son Austin was in the cafeteria and he was um, playing a game called Punch. Maybe you've heard of this game. It's where you go up to your friend and you hit him and then the goal is not to cry. Right? So you go up to your friend, you punch them. If they don't cry, that's like a point. If they do cry, they lose. And so then you go around the circle to see who's the toughest kid in the cafeteria. And that's what first graders do. And then ultimately, there's some responsible human being in the vicinity. And the lunchroom monitor saw uh, a couple whacks of punch and came interrupted. And uh, the kids got in trouble, got written up. And Austin, the wor- he didn't actually cry until after somebody got him in trouble. And I think that's what happens, um, you know, to, well, kids. And then all of a sudden, he went to come home, and he told Adrian, my wife, about it. And he starts bawling, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I got in trouble. Because he's like rule follower boy. Uh, now, we have other sons that aren't rule follower boy, but he is a self-proclaimed rule follower, and any times he gets in trouble, it just decimates him. And so he ends the conversation after Adrian tells him it's okay, and you know he, he knows what he did wrong. He ends the conversation with, don't tell daddy. 
And that really struck me. Like, I got home and Adrian said, he wanted to make sure that I didn't tell you, so I'm letting you know. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks. I'm not sure what that says about my parenting. My son can't come to me. And, um, and, but I really think it has something more to do with just the human condition. And I think what's happened to us as a culture is this thing we've learned how to hide. In fact, um, here I want you guys to see this, is that we resist confessing our sins because we have a tendency to hide in shame. So from Adam in the garden to Austin in the cafeteria, we have a tendency to hide in shame. Because all of a sudden, whenever the Father knows what we've done, uh, and even if we've had a perfect Father like uh, Adam had in the garden, who never disciplined out of anger, who never did, did anything wrong, to if you had a not-so-perfect dad like Austin in a cafeteria, there's this tendency to hide. And here's what's a really big problem with this. Um, because we don't understand as children what it means to be a father and how much we love our kids, you grow up with the sense of, I have to perform to be accepted. And so whether that is Austin of like, I can't let my parents know. And so I'm going to omit the truth. This is the tendency, right? He's going to omit the truth because if I were to find out, who knows what would happen? He might get mad. He might get disappointed. I am going to feel a feeling that I'm afraid of. And that feeling of fear comes in the form of shame. Okay. Or, or maybe it's not shame necessarily, or maybe it's like we, we can deal with shame, but we don't have a plan for it. We don't have a plan for what to do when we sin, so we don't do anything. We don't acknowledge it. We just sort of pretend it's not there, and we move forward, okay? And then finally, we forget uh, that we have been freed uh, from the power and penalty of sin. And if you know anything about the gospel, Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from dead. When you believe that, you are freed from the penalty of sin, and you need to be reminded of that. And then secondly, we are, you are freed from the power of sin. Sin has no power over you because you no longer have to fear man. And you definitely don't have to fear God because you are in relationship. But what happens to us is we always drift back to this thing of works and why that's what's so important. The most important person we preach the gospel to is you. And so this morning, we really want to get to that heartbeat of the gospel. And we're going to be in Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to read it real quick, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to open up our hearts uh, to what Titus, um, or what Paul, writing to uh, his um, protege Titus, uh, was learning from. And Titus was on the island of Crete, to which, uh, I don't know if you know this, um, <laughs> one of the Cretans, this is from Titus 1.12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretan are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. So uh, if you ever felt like you were a part of a people group that was just sort of like, well, you're done. You were just e evil and lazy right from the get-go. You could be a Cretan, which is why Cretans, that's like a famous way, like he's a Cretan. Uh, anyway, so what I want to get to is we're going to read Titus 3. We're going to read 1 through 8 about what it is to remind people of, even if you are a Cretan, of what God has saved you from, what he saved you to. Here we go. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrels, uh, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Uh, 
to be all, uh, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay. So this is where we're going. So let's pray and ask God to open up that scripture into our hearts that we might be uh, fully open to the power of the Holy Spirit working in us this morning. God, thank you for your word. I pray that um, as I read, as I preach, and as I proclaim uh, the honest truth of the gospel, that it would change me from the inside out, that darkness would flee, and the Holy Spirit, you would be um, welcomed and in the midst of this teaching and this proclaiming, this preaching, that we would watch you work in a really unique and special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Titus chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1. All right, it says this. Remind them to be. Now, pause. When you see the word remind, that means that there's a tendency for us to not remember. And when we don't remember, we are going to be doing dark things. So remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So there's a tendency for to be not submissive, to be rejecting of rulers' authority, to be um, disobedient, to be ready to serve myself. All right? That is in me, and I have to be reminded uh, not to be. All right? So you hear verse 1, and then verse 2, uh, watch. To speak evil of no one which in a political season, presidential elections are coming. Have you spoken evil of anyone lately? Have you? Okay, I'm just curious. And you realize, no, no, you don't understand. That person, we need to be reminded of how evil that person is. I mean, there's this reality. It's in us to do that, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy to all people. Okay, so here is something that you've, you're called to be perfect. Remind them to be perfect. Essentially, that's the reminder. You're not perfect, uh, that you, you could be perfect. You're freed from the penalty of sin. Uh, you're freed from the power of sin. So be a person who represents that. And then he's going to get into why this is hard. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. Because this is in you and it is in me. Malice means to plot evil or to do ill, like to be just ill works. I'm going to do it all, darkness. And envy is like, God, you owe me, so therefore I have to do these things to get back at the very, you know, get back at the people you're blessing. They've got money. I don't have money. I, own, I deserve money. I need to take it. Uh, I need to put myself, number one, because God, you're holding out. That's what malice and envy is all about. And then look what happens. Hated by others, and then therefore, oh, do you see what they did to me? I therefore have to hate them back, hating one another. So that's sort of the plot at which we were stuck in. And there wasn't like, I need to get myself together because I need to be better so that I might find God. It's like God wasn't on the radar until this, verse 4. 
but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Look at this, look at this. We are hating God's people that he made. We are uh, being hated, getting all that we deserve, living a life of karma, and have nothing to do with grace, but God does this. He comes not as a disciplinarian. He comes in loving kindness. And you're going to see this phrase, loving kindness, a lot when it comes to God. In fact, if you go to Romans 2, it says um, it's God's kindness that led us to repentance. It's you understood the depth of your own sin, the darkness of your heart, and you're like, I'm a wreck. I deserve death. And all of a sudden, that joy of Jesus comes, and it's like, oh yeah, I can, he's coming for me. He's good for me. He loves me. He but how does he love me? He's, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appears, he saved us, verse 5, not because of works done by us. Because we would say, like, grace is like, I, I pulled myself together, I started doing it, he for, eventually forgave me for all the bad stuff that I did. No, no, it's not that. It's not for works done by us in righteousness. No, it's more like done by him. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and this is where we get the word regenerate from, it's regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that something happened, there's a transaction. My sin for his righteousness occurred, not because I was righteous, but because he was, and all I needed was faith that he gave me to believe. And then he starts to regenerate us by the power of the Holy Spirit that's continually working in us, whom he poured out on us, whom he, Jesus, poured out on us. The Holy Spirit poured out on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs. Now watch this. So that being justified, right? When justified, that is declaring the sinner righteous on the basis of grace by means of faith. That's what justification is. He justified by His grace, meaning we didn't earn it. I know you're like, Chris, the you literally just said this like 10 times already. That's because you don't take this in, which is why you're covering up your sin and why you live in shame most of the time. Because you don't take this in. You're not believing it. That's why all the time I'm saying to you, the only thing that you really need to wrap your head around is the gospel. And then the much more mature you get, the deeper of understanding of how wretched you are and how great God is and that you are deserving of absolute darkness and death, but he is giving us the amazing grace. So this is why it's so important. We can't get over it. So being justified by his grace, unmerited favor, bestowed upon you when you deserved it the least, that we might become heirs. Now, this is an important word. It's important because um, a lot of times as when you read the New Testament, and when you're reading what Paul writes, he usually writes heirs or adopted as sons. Um, and he does that in contrast to the Gospels that use a lot of born-again language. All right, now here's why. Um, when you're writing to a Jewish audience, the, the concept of life and being born in the family, that is a big deal. And you once born in the family, you can't lose that person out of the family. And obviously there are rules when someone you know, goes too far, but for the most part, there's this inherent love that valued life. Now, you flip it. In Roman world, I mean, kids weren't valued. In fact, um, the real value, especially when you saw it with the emperor, Tiberius Caesar, for example, emperor uh, of the time of Jesus. Whenever Jesus um, rolls up, 
there is this, the, the title Son of God is given to Jesus, and it was sort of like, granted, he is the Son of God, but it was given almost in a contrast to um, Caesar's Son of God, because they made Julius Caesar a god, right? And so his sons would be sons of God. And he didn't have physical sons of his own. In fact, the, the emperors in general didn't have sons of their own. They had to adopt them as heirs. And so you got full benefit of being a son of God, if you will, in that culture, and they understood that. And so that meant that you had you may not have um, become emperor or ruler yet, but you were in line and you were treated really, really well by all people. And that's the way God, he wants the world to know that you are special to him, that you've been chosen uh, to be a child of God and an heir is about to inherit a ton of stuff, especially if you're an heir of God. So here it is, like this heir is also an heir of the Holy Spirit, which you receive now and then the treasure to come. So that is what is redeeming you and transforming you. And then it also leads you to according to the hope of eternal life. So that is where your faith is pointed. So remember, watch this. You're freed from the penalty of sin right here with being justified. You're, uh, you're uh, free from the power of sin as an heir, as someone who is um, a child of God, and you completely have full access to whatever God the Father has, you have it as an heir, and then you have, are going to be one day freed from the presence of sin in the hope of eternal life. And that is such great news. Now, here's what's good news for us, that God knew the worst parts about us and adopted us anyway. So this is going to get us into what it means to be a child of God. And let's get back to school and part of our identity is a regenerate. Now, did you know that um, a regenerate, one of the things that you've got to wrap your head around, especially for all regenerates, is the fact that God knew what he was getting into when he chose you as an heir. Now, you might have been chose as, chosen as an heir as a little kid. You might have been chosen as an heir uh, as an adult when you experience. But every person that's born into the family of God goes through the dipes and wipes phase. Okay, that means that listen, when I have a child, whether I adopt them, uh, adopt them, or have them as my own, every parent knows. Like, did you know there's there's baby showers? Like for your birth ba first baby shower. Uh, just, just for free on how you guys should do baby showers. At least this is uh, the plug and pull opinion on baby showers. First baby shower, you get all the little booties, all the shoes, all the clothes, all the stuff that's way too expensive that you go, you didn't know that you buy stuff at uh, Target and you didn't know that you could get them for like the same stuff at once upon a child or like secondhand worn once uh, because they don't last very long. So just FYI. So you, you do all that stuff at the first baby shower. But the second or third or fourth baby shower, we have enough hand-me-downs for a lifetime. Don't give me any more clothes. But what you always bring is Dipes and wipes. And the reason why you bring dipes and wipes is because that kid is going to poop a whole lot. In fact, uh, yesterday, remember, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. You, you think I'm like looking at the horizon being done with dipes and wipes. I'm not! I'm, it's not that I'm bitter, by the way. Um, it's a lot of diaping and wiping. But uh, So yesterday, uh, for some reason, I woke all, all kids woke up uh, from the nighttime sleep with needing a serious diaper change so bad that you know stuff had been stuck up there, I guess, through the night, and that we needed two of my kids needed baths in the morning to scrape off all the goodness that comes from 
out of the bottom, all right? So uh, the diaper change was more than I, I couldn't get enough off with the wipes. It was a painful mess. And then at nap time, I don't know if it was just because Adrian had a free break of the day and took Austin to a birthday party, and I had the other three. And so after during naps, they did the same thing, and I had to do two, uh, you know, four baths, essentially, for my boys. And, you know, I signed up for that. That wasn't like a shock. And I think for a lot of us, when it comes to our sin, the, the, the poopiness of our life, we're embarrassed of it because we're like, I don't know if anyone knew what they were getting into when they took me on. And here's the reality. This is, I love, there's a Tim Keller paraphrase that I just love, and I want to share it to you. He's a pastor in New York City, or was. He just stepped down, uh, retired. And he says this, that to, um, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. So uh, when you get greeted at Walmart and someone says, hey, I'm so glad you're here, uh, that's comforting in a sense. Or if someone says, love you, and they don't know you, uh, it's superficial. You're like, I don't know who you are, and nor do I care. And if they say something negative, you're like, whatever, I don't know who you are either. And the same way, to be uh, known, fully known, and rejected is our greatest fear, which is why over time, spouses might, may grow apart from each other because they don't want each other to really know who they are because if they really know who they were, they might leave them. This is why um, whenever you see a group of old men at IHOP uh, at like 6 a.m. and they've already been up for a couple hours and they're hanging out with each other, that's special. That doesn't happen very often because people are so afraid of ever being known that they get to the place of coping by being very, very alone. And so what, what, you know, what, and it starts, right? What does it start? It starts when Austin is seven years old and he's experiencing the fear of shame. And so one of the things that we, we've done in our house, and I've shared this with you, that um, I want my children to know I'm up for wiping bottoms. And I'm not just talking about in the days of diapers. I know that as a teenager, and I've already said, you're going to hate me at some point as a teenager. It would be great if like, right now we could just like, resolve not to hate me when you're a teenager. But we're having talks now about preparing for them for their teenage years when they're going to be a whole different person and hormones come in and they are crazy. All right? But the reality is what, I, what I've said to them now in the times of discipline, I said, Daddy loves you when you make good choices, when you make bad choices. But it makes Daddy happy when you make good choices. Now, you're like, in, in a time of discipline, that's like, you discipline me, and you're saying this really weird phrase, but I also say that phrase uh, when we're in the car to go get ice cream. I say that phrase whenever they win at a soccer game. I say that phrase all the time so that it gets so annoying. So I go, when does Daddy love you? When you make good choices and bad choices. When does it make Daddy happy? When we make good choices. Because I want that so ingrained in them so that at some point when the shame comes and they can always remember, Daddy loves me no matter what. Daddy loves me no matter what. I can go to my daddy and then my hope is that one day it's going to be transferred from me as their earthly dad to Jesus as and their father in heaven. That they would look up and be like, I get it. All the things that my dad taught me in his imperfect ways is perfected in Christ. And my dad was the shadow of who my God the Father is. And so I won't doubt and I won't have moments of just raging anger and saying, you don't understand me. You don't listen to me. In other words, it's going to be a sense of joy and peace and love that my sons just get to wrap their head around. 
And so then essentially, watch this. This is, this is where you would say, Chris, 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 I, I love the idea of that. Um, but I don't live at your house. And you're not my dad. And um, let, me, let me tell you why this is so hard, especially as you're a grown man or a grown woman. is because you're afraid that people are going to recognize that in you and they're going to call it out in you and you're going to be terrified that who you are is going to be exposed. And um, here's an example. Here's, where, here's something you don't care about. For example, um, hey, do you guys know that uh, the sermon bumper that came on before this, I made that. I literally made it from scratch. Uh, other than I took the graphic of the back-to-school design thing, and then I went from there. And then um, I made it, and it didn't look like that, the final thing. Uh, I sent it in to uh, our creative team, and because the creative team didn't have time to work on it. So here's my little rough draft. What do you guys think? And then Sierra, uh, our creative director, director uh, she said, um, she gave me a whole lot of white bread, which I really appreciate. She's like, this was a really great first effort. This is amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, here's the 50 things you need to fix on it. And then she followed up with a lot of white bread on the bottom. of Like, that was a really great effort, though. Okay. And listen, can I just be honest? If she would have, like, taken the white bread off and just said, here's the 50 things you need to fix, I would have been completely okay with that. Why? My identity is not my creative, like,ness. Like, my Instagram posts are not awesome. I'm not hoping, like, to, you know, get the right filters right. I don't, I don't know anything about all that. All I know is that um, I'm not good at creative stuff, and somebody else is, and when somebody else can't do it, then I can just put forth, you know, a good effort, and I'm great with it. But you know where it's going to get messy with me? And I have to watch my heart, my pride, and all that stuff sort of, like, bows up. You talk to me about my parenting. You talk to me about my uh, pastoring. Now all of a sudden I'm like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean I didn't do it right? Because that's in me. And I think there's an identity that's in you that goes with what you do as opposed to who you are. You don't get offended um, when people talk about perhaps you're not the greatest Christian, but you might get offended when they say, like, you don't know how to do, you're not a very good salesman if that's what you do. You're not a very good um, engineer if that's what you do. You're, you've made mistakes. And so we start to go and cover in those places. And then in the place of our Christian heart, we just don't acknowledge it at all. And so I'm wondering if perhaps if we can lean into who we are in Jesus and allow people to speak into it but most importantly, at least start with us, right? And I want to give you like um, two verses. There's two verses that I, again, it's kind of like, well, Daddy loves you when you make good choices bad choices. And it makes Daddy happy when you make good choices, right? So it's that kind of thing. I'm going to put this on repeat with you, and I've shared this with you a gazillion times. Here it is. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, First John 1 John 1.9 is confession to God is forgiveness. You are clean before God. But on the flip side of that, James 5.16, confession to people with prayer equals healing. And let me show you this real quick because this should change your life. So 1 John 1.9, I want to show you this because this is so important. Um, if we say we have no sin, this is 1 John 1.8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, this is going to be uh, an important factor. Watch this. Because I think there's a lot of people out here that are self-deceived. If we confess our sins, watch this. First, we deceive ourselves, but if we confess our sins, which we know we all have, and, th- and John, when he's writing this, he's not writing this to lost people, he's writing this to Christians. So if you're sitting in there saying, I'm a Christian, I, I don't sin. Well, nobody says it. Nobody says, I'm perfect. Not one person I know has ever said that. But we say really ridiculous stuff like, um, I'm not perfect, but I don't really do anything wrong. Like, you say that stuff. Like, oh, so what, you're not perfect. What's the sin that you really struggle with? Well, you know, I don't really struggle with it. 
what? What? You're deceiving yourself. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So forgiveness comes when we confess to God. So in other words, confession to God yields forgiveness. Now, let's go back to school for a second. Let me help you out with some home ec projects. Do you guys know what this is? Let's see if I get, let's, let's see how, how good of a student you guys are. Can you tell me what this, if I can get out of my backpack here, what this is, all right? Here we go. All right, this would be for home ec. What is this? Anyone know? This is an air filter. <clears throat> now let's talk about what air filters do. Air filters are designed to take out the impurities of the air as your vents suck in air. It sucks it through this, and then the air that then goes out is purified. Now, filters work two ways. One, so that stuff can't get in, but also so that stuff can't get out. And so, for example, um, here's how it works on Instagram. You put the filter on, and all the impurities of my face are taken out. All the blemishes, the wrinkles, and uh, the bald spots, those are taken away so that you only see the image I want you to see. And so sometimes the image I want you to see is my coffee cup next to my Bible. <clears throat> all right? Sometimes that's what I want you to see. And sometimes what I want you to see is a half uh, admission that I'm having a hard time so that you feel sorry for me, but not enough that you think there's really anything wrong with me. Th that's what we do. And this is where non-Christians really struggle with us. Because for the most part, we don't, they don't know that we're just self-deceived because no one goes around, man, I'm just a self-deceived person. Nothing I, no, nothing I can do about it. Well, we usually are hypocrites, right? We, we know what's going on in our soul, and so we put up a front uh, because we're broken and, and we you know, have a vanity issue and we want people to think of us better than we are. And that's at least that's understandable. What's really sad is, um, is this. I think this is really probably where more of you are at. Whenever you hear about people are self-deceived, you never think about yourself. You, just, you throw off a list of people who are just terrible parents, uh, people that just don't know what they're doing in their relationships. Uh, they, um, they're awful with their finances. You're just like, eh, look at, oh my gosh. Thank God I, I understand finances. Oh man, I'm so glad I understand relationships. I'm so great of a parent. And the sad part is, you're not even a hypocrite, you're just self-deceived. And here's why. Your method of dealing with your own sinfulness is to not think about it. Let's turn the Christmas music on and just pretend it's not there. And you've lost something in the contemplative life. And so what's happened for you is that you've grown so disassociated from your own sin and you put up your filter and you believe the lie that you've presented to the world. So your Instagram filter is how you now see yourself and it's really sad and really broken. Um, one of my uh, uh, favorite books is um, C.S. Lewis. You guys know this book right here? Uh, it's The Screwtape Letters, classic. And it's, um, it's letters from a senior demon to a junior demon about a patient of who they're trying to just uh, obliterate into the darkness, right? Uh, and, and the patient becomes a Christian, and, and Uncle Screwtape lets his, lets his nephew Wormwood know, hey, don't worry about it. We can still totally disrupt their lives. And one of the ways we can do it is by getting busy. Because if you're busy, and you're doing, and you're cleaning, and you're working, and you're making stuff happen, you're, you're parenting, and you're there, and you get activity after activity after activity, and even in a quarantine life, you're just like, I'm just so busy. And you make virtue, busyness, 
then what happens? You never realize there's anything bad about you because you never have time to contemplate it. And what's happened, watch this, is the filter that you've been accustomed to of uh, omitting stuff to your parents because you didn't want to get caught, uh, you've now omitted it to yourself. And this is why there's a lot of friction in marriages, why you can't see eye to eye, because there's one person living behind this filter and they're never getting to the reality of who they are. And even a spouse can see it, but all their words ram right into the filter because they can't even see what they're talking about. Is that too personal? Now, listen. Listen. Um, w- one of the ways that um, in some of the discipleship that uh, I've been doing is I, I've been challenging people to write their own screw tape letter. So if you were Uncle Screwtape writing a letter to Nephew Wormwood to wreak havoc on your soul, what would you do? And you, who knows you best, could write the letter. And then, uh, then you can kind of read it and go like, I need to confess the areas of darkness of my heart that I've leaned into and I've listened to the lie of the enemy. I've, I believe the lie of the enemy that I could be just busy and not be bad. That's really not my fault. I could, I could just you know, blame all sorts of things and viruses and politics and all the things from my darkened heart, not realize that all that stuff just revealed the anger that was already there. Um, that's a beautiful thing. And I, that's a challenge I'm putting out to you to write your own screw tape letter. And on the flip side, watch this, James 5.16. I love this. Now, James 5.16 is preceded by James 5.15. Watch this. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. <clears throat> Here's the good news. Because we're afraid of this. In fact, kids come up to parents and like, Dad, don't be mad. Or like, if you, if you go up to your spouse like, um, I know you're going to forgive me on the back end of this. I just want you to know it's really bad. And I just want you to forgive me. And everyone's like, what'd you do? Right? If he has forgiven sins, he will be forgiven. And everybody sort of needs to know that on the front end. It's like that, it's the pre-conversation. Because therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, this, you're going to be forgiven. So since you know you're going to be forgiven, confess your sins to one another without fear. And pray for one another that you may be healed. That's huge. You're going to be forgiven, so let's get in the practice of practicing this practice forgiving each other and confessing our sins. Because here's what happens. You know, confession to God is forgiveness. You're right between God, but you are still coping using secular coping mechanisms of isolation, of omission. I'm not going to tell, I'm going to do a half-hearted, like, I'm going to just talk about how uh, I'm so busy and how, and then like some lame, like, confession. Everyone goes, oh, me too. And then it's just, you've never gotten down to the bottom barrel, the darkness of your heart, and you're struggling because you're so afraid of what people would think if they really knew. But watch this. Confession to people with prayer yields healing. Now look at this. This is what's so hard. You don't know how to do this. Confession to God isn't synonymous with repenting of your sin because who's going to walk you through this repentance? Who's going to let you know that you're forgiven over and over? Because we all know that we forget, which is why we hide. Um, And if I'm honest with you, the reason why this gets so hard is people don't know how to do this. Like this is like a newly acquired skill. Um, So for example, one of the things in in discipleship that I've tried to help people wrap their head around is um, how to heal people. In fact, let's take something out of our trusty backpack. Because if I have a first aid kit, but I don't know how to use it, it's, that's sort of a mess, right? If I don't know how to use the tool that's in here, and I said, here's your first aid kit. Confession to people, 
uh, and prayer is healing. And then people, what people do is they, they confess to people and they disregard any directions of the first aid kit. And so here's what they do. Watch this. They start telling you stuff you need to change and stuff you need to do. And that's not helpful. I don't need you to heal me. I need the Holy Spirit to heal me. But I need your prayer. And so I've had to teach people how to do this. It's sort of humiliating to do it, especially as a pastor. Because I would go to guys and I would confess sin. I'd say, here's my anger issue. I just really took it out of my kids. I took it out of my wife. Uh, here's my lust issue. Uh, here is my uh, frustration issue with people. And I'm prideful and um, I'm greedy. And I'm all the dark. And I, then I'd say, listen, okay. Because whenever a pastor confesses stuff, people start looking at their shoes. I'm like, well, we're all screwed. Like, and the reality is that like, I need confession just like you do. You can't put me on sort of like pastoral pedestal. Like I'm sort of like free from all that. I'm just like you. And so what I had to train people to do, even with me, is like say this. Dear God, we pray for Chris right now to know he is loved and he is forgiven. And that he can walk in the spirit knowing that you, Jesus, died on the cross for the, the, his sin, which is dark and it's awful and he is worse than he ever imagined. But you are so good and you're so righteous and you, the breadth of the cross is so huge over his life. And so thank you, Jesus, for saving him and bringing him to right relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's what it looks like. That's how you use the first aid kit. Because otherwise you start hitting people in the head with the first aid kit. And they can't be healed by that. The very thing that was supposed to heal them becomes the very same thing that actually makes it worse. And so that, I feel like, is so important. So here's what I want you to do. I, this is bold. Remember, I already talked to you, I want you to write a screw tape letter, right? But what I want you to do with that screw tape letter is I want you to give it to your community group shepherd. And your community group shepherd, who is trained on how to use the first aid kit, would pray over you. And maybe that first step of being healed from that porn addiction or from the anger that just is, erupts in you over when things don't go your way or the pride of just like looking down on all people and their minion-like status, if that's in you, I want someone to pray over you because their forgiveness is coming and the judgment is not. And you need that. Because that is what it's like to be fully known and loved. And that's what the body of Christ is all about. And this is what marks us as different. Because when we go around white-knuckling our lives in worry and anxiety and struggle, and we're not at a place where we can, it's not like lost people are stupid. They don't look at your life and be like, man, just really appreciate your white-knuckling life for me. I just really see how Jesus is transforming you. Nobody says that. They go, your life looks no different than mine. You are just as worried. You're just as grief-stricken. You are just as broken. You're just as anxiety-driven, angry, frustrated, lustful as I am. What do you possibly have? Where's the power that you talk about? Where's the overcomer that you sing about? And so um, I want us to really rest in that. I want us to be a people who have a contemplative life where we stop life long enough to go, what is in me that's broken? God, I need to confess that to you. And then be bold enough to say, I want real healing. And I'm not just going to self-medicate with the way the culture does of isolation and pulling away from the rest of the world and doing half-hearted omitted confessions. And one of the ways that we remind ourselves of that freedom we have is we take communion. And... Um,
this morning we're going to take communion. And what communion means is this. It's that on the, when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His body broken on the cross, his act of righteousness overcame our darkness. And then that same night, he took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And when we do that, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes back and our death to sin, and it has no power over us. And we always bring our sins to God in this time. And so then the question that I have for you before we take uh, communion together is this. Who are you trusting with your sin? Are you, are you trusting you to handle it? Or will you let somebody with a first aid kit come and help you out? Are you going to simply like be at a place where you're going to let the, the darkness win? Or are you going to trust Jesus with the hope that is in you? That, that, that I just keep coming back to it. I mean, imagine what it would look like to be free from that just for a second. Of not worrying about the shame that comes tracks you down. Not worrying about the anger that exploded. Not worry about... Um, people coming back one day and say, I know what you did. And you're like, what do they know? So this morning we're going to take communion together. And um, if you can do something for me, if you could, um, before we take communion, we're going to pray. And um, what I want you to do is um, while we're praying, is I want you to write down um, whatever your deepest, darkest sin is. Maybe you can show it to someone in the room or maybe you're just going to hold it for yourself. Uh, and I want you to experience real forgiveness when you can contemplate for a moment what the real darkness of your soul is. When you stand before God and go like, here's the brokenness. I'm going to take the filter off my face and I'm going to look at me for who I am. Blemishes and wrinkles and bald spots and all. Let let me see my own weight of my own darkness and then run to you boldly. And I want you to email us. If you're bold enough, um, email us at prayer at wellsbranchchurch.com and let us know um, what you're confessing. We would love to pray alongside you, pray for you, call you up, say, hey, get it, been there, pray over you and you can get some healing. Or maybe you're going to give that, your screw tape letter to your community group shepherd and that would be a huge win. But this morning, I want you to write down what your sins are the stuff that you don't confess, and I want you to write them down. And then um, I want you to sort of like have some sort of moment in your house, right where you're at, um, where you either burn it, rip it up, and then I want you to take communion as you're reminded of what Jesus did for you. Because that's where our hope is. So right now we're going to take that time um, to pray, confess, repent, communion. Father, thank you that you are on the throne and in complete control. And God, you love me even though I'm unlovable, even though in the darkness and the depths of my heart lies an angry, um, prideful uh, person that's pursuing my own gain. That you would wash me over and over and over again to present me pure and blameless before you. And God, I know I'm going to be forgiven. So God, I take every ounce of that to you, to the cross. And Jesus, I'm praying for somebody who's never experienced that. Maybe they experienced for the first time that you, Jesus, died on the cross for them. They rose and then Lord, they'd say, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. And just simply through that, they'd understand that you came, you died, you rose. 
you ascended to heaven, you're coming back for them, and they just fully embrace that. And Lord, for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, we just lean into you in this moment of pain and heartache, heartache and all the hurt. And we would just say, God, you're doing something, and I'm going to be not afraid of what my sin has done to you or done to others because I know forgiveness is coming, and I just bear my soul. So Lord, we come before you in a time of communion. We're going to take some time to confess our sins before you and ponder our own depravity put up against your great righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray.